Today, I'm talking to Chrissy DeGenero, and she was diagnosed with multiple myeloma in 2006. Here we are in 2020, and we are so excited to hear her story. For starters, we'd like to ask you, Chrissy, just to learn a little bit about you, how would your loved ones describe you? Well, that's interesting because I think people see me differently than I see myself. People see me as a strong person, and I think I'm just a regular old girl doing what I need to do to survive. I think people think I'm giving, I'm kind, I'm caring, I'm strong, adventurous, silly. There's a lot of sides of me, and I guess it depends who you're talking to. Of course. And those are all really good qualities. This is a little different question if it takes you back all the way to 2006. If you can recall what it was like to be diagnosed with multiple myeloma and how it might have changed your life at the time or interrupted the way your life was going. It definitely interrupted my life. I was 36 at the time, and I had a one-year-old. And a doctor had told me that my labs were off and I had a dizzy spell. And I thought it was just because I was a new mom, I wasn't eating right. And then the doctor said I was anemic. And I thought, oh, maybe you'll just tell me to eat some red meat. And my family doctor told me you need to see a hematologist. And I had no idea a hematologist was an oncologist. So I went to the doctor. I was on my way to work. And I'm talking to the hematologist. And he blurts out, I think you have multiple myeloma cancer. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Melanoma? What? And he starts drawing on the paper on the exam table. And he's saying, if you have this, you have this, you have this. And I'm still thinking of the word cancer. And I can remember thinking about the teacher in Charlie Brown, how everything sounds like want, 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 want. So I didn't hear anything what he said after cancer. And I had no idea what multiple myeloma was. This was really for social media. This was before everything. So I left there. I called my husband who was at the park with our one-year-old and said, hey, Nick, I have cancer. He's like, what? You know, I mean, this hit us like a ton of bricks. No idea whatsoever. It definitely interrupted our lives. I remember going home and looking on the internet and Googling multiple myeloma and reading these horrible, terrible things. A lot of things were outdated. I didn't have anybody to ask. You know, back then when you're 36, the the people that you know that have cancer are the grandmothers. And you hear a lot about breast cancer and all these things. And I did not have any friends to talk to. I had nobody. And I Googled and I found the International Myeloma Foundation. And I called and I found Paul. And Paul was my saving grace. He sent me all kinds of brochures and flyers and information because you couldn't find any good info about multiple myeloma on the internet. Like I said, there wasn't any social media. There wasn't anything but outdated information. And he told me about specialists. And it made sense. Why go to the local guy who knows a little bit about every kind of cancer or go to one guy, it could be a woman too, I didn't mean it that way, that knows everything about this disease that I think at the time affected 2% under 40. And, um, you know, I, I hit the jackpot, but with the wrong thing. So he gave me the name of two doctors within a three hour radius. I made appointments with both. The one that took me the quickest was who I went to. I ended up in Hackensack with Dr. Siegel and his team, and he immediately started me on thalidomide, which is one of the first drugs approved for myeloma. We we went forward. I embarked on this 14-plus year journey of myeloma. I was raising 
my son. I was in and out of work, depending on my treatment. It was a new world to navigate besides being a new parent, navigating a disease that you had never heard of that was incurable. It was scary. It definitely changed our lives. And one of the things you're, you're is you have a son or daughter? I have a son. And so he's 14 now. Actually, he's out, he was one and a half and he's going to be 16 Sunday. 16 years old. So what kind of advice would you give to another myeloma patient who was recently diagnosed and is also a parent having lived with this and now for 14 years? Sure. And that's why I want to do this because I want to let parents know that you can learn to live with cancer. You can find, I know a lot of people don't like the term new normal, but in this disease, you have to find a new normal many times. And you can, and it's possible. And I have done so many things with my son because, again, it's treatable, but it's incurable. And you just don't know. It's important to hit those milestones and make the most out of everything you do. So you find a new normal. You figure out what works for you and your family. If you need support as a family, there's cancer support outlets out there. There's Gilda's Club. We attended this amazing family retreat called Inheritance of Hope, and that gave us tips and tools on how to live our life and be mindful as parents in this situation. I've just learned along the way. You know, I didn't wake up one day and know how to be a parent or know how to be a a cancer warrior. You just learn, but it's definitely possible and we've done it. Is it easy every step of the way? No, but you find a way to make it work. And even in the, the, the bad and sad times, you just find a way to just pick yourself up and keep going and I'm actually thankful that I do have a son because this is what keeps me going. And I honestly didn't expect to see him turn 16 this Sunday. But as a family, it, you just find the support and find your way. One of the things that I think is inspiring to a lot of patients is that this has been a really long and I understand pretty difficult journey for you that you have undergone. Has it been 27 different types of treatment regimens? Yes, I have been on 27 types of medication. Some were old school chemos that really knock you down, put you in the hospital, make you sick. Some could have been a convenient oral chemo. But the key here is options. Again, starting out with thalidomide back in 2006 to where we've come is amazing because there was nothing really back then. And I've watched the birth of all these different drugs and I've tried them all and they have bridged me from one treatment to another. And yeah, there's times that I have given up hope. Things have stopped working. It's scary. You just have to seek out what's out there, have a good specialist. I've had two auto stem cell transplants and I've had two CAR T cell transplants along with that. So I've definitely earned my place in going through all of that. But one thing I want to point out in all these years, this is one thing that was important to me since I was diagnosed. I love to travel and I wanted to experience things. And in between all of that, I thought, you know what? I want to hit all 50 states before I turn 50. So in between that, we tried to take trips and visit dates and do things. And I got to experience all this a lot of this with my son and my husband. And it was great. In November, I turned 50. 
and July prior, almost a year ago, I hit my 50th seat. So that was pretty exciting. So that is an example of living with cancer. I did it in between all all of the treatments when I had chances. It gave me things to look forward to. I think that's so important to remind patients to always be planning and finding things to look forward to. Speaking of all these treatments you've been through, and some of them, like you mentioned, the CAR-T and the autologous stem cell transplant, very tough regimens. What treatment are you on now? Well, now I'm on Selenexor. There's been a few times that I have been told by my amazing medical team that we're out of viable options because I've taken the road that I want quality over quantity. I want to have a quality, a good quality of life. I was in this predicament last year where there was nothing working and, you know, it's been tough when you're told you have no more viable options. And again, I've been told this a couple of times. I've been faced with hospice, but I went out and searched and found things and Selenexor was approved last July and I was 100% against it because I saw side effects that seemed like it would give me a horrible quality of life. And I was very, very much against it. It scared me. I've had a long journey and I'm I'm tired and I don't want to live a life that I'm stuck in bed and I'm having, you know, I'm vomiting and not able to enjoy. So I was against it. I talked to people and I didn't want to. And then I saw Cindy. She's an amazing patient advocate. She did a video and she interviewed Dr. Jacknock at Mount Sinai about Selenexor. And he had treatment option for every side effect. And I thought, hmm, well, I'm still riding this wave. I'm still here. I want to be here. Okay, I'm going to try it. So in September, I started Selenexor, Velcade, and Dex. And I'm a non-secretor, so I don't have measurable disease. And I had plasma cytoma tumors all over. And after a scan, a PET scan a couple months after Selenexor, all of them were gone. They disappeared again. Bam. Another miracle for me. And I just had to give it a I just had to try it and still my last scan a couple weeks ago, no plasma cytoma. And that's how I was presenting because I'm later in this disease. So I didn't have an M spike, light veins, anything. So we just have to measure by by that. I'm tough now. I'm a tough patient to figure out. So I'm still having success with Celadexor. Oddly enough, I'm not having the horrible side effects that a lot of people have. So I'm so thankful that I tried it because I made it through another Thanksgiving, Christmas. And I'm going to see my son turn 16 on Sunday. And that's amazing. He was one and now he's going to be 16. That is really amazing. And I know that a lot of patients are going to be really excited to hear your story. What kind of advice would you give to patients who have been in the similar predicament where they are not finding options for themselves? How can they be a good advocate for themselves? Definitely need to, one, be your own advocate. Two, a myeloma specialist. Again, I've had an amazing medical team. I have seen other specialists, but the majority of the time I've been in Hackensack with Dr. Siegel, Dr. Baran, and an amazing group of nurses this whole time. They're, they're like family. And I've gone to University of Penn. I've gone to Sinai. I've, I've gone out there. And, you know, you rely on the knowledge and information that your medical team gives you, but you still need to do more. There's trials. There's an organization, Brian, started Spark Cures. And I definitely recommend that. I just put my information in the database. And there's so many trials for myeloma out there. But with my information, we could break it down to see what I qualified for. And he even took it further and would reach out to the pharmaceutical companies, the centers doing the trials. Unfortunately, because I'm a non-secretor now, I didn't qualify for any trials. So it was kind of, I felt like it was up to me to 
reach out to doctors individually, and I did. I had no problem calling a hospital and calling a myeloma specialist doctor who was running a trial. I guess patients don't normally do that, but this is my life. I just went out and, and sought all the information. I talked to the International Myeloma Foundation. I find any questions on treatment or doctors or suggestions or things, they have been a great resource. It's good to take the advice that the doctors and your medical team give you, but you're allowed to do more. You're allowed to ask questions. And I think people feel that you have to do exactly what the doctor says. And as many times I've been at a crossroads and things would be presented to me and I would say, no, I don't like that. That's not convenient. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. And they respected me enough. I turned down the CAR T-cell trial three times before I finally did it. And I made other decisions because I didn't believe in it. it. It worked out in the end that I did it. And I think I did it at the right time. But it was all my choice. And again, you take the knowledge and the information you're given, seek out yourself, and then you can go on and you take that and, and make decisions. You, you have to be involved. You have to learn the language of navigating a disease with myeloma because I'm not a scientist. I don't have a medical degree. I've just learned a lot because maybe I've controlled issues, but I, I want to know what's going on and I want to understand and I want to be involved. And I think that because of that, I'm still here today. You mentioned, just like we always say at the International Myeloma Foundation, knowledge is power. And Paul Hewitt, you mentioned him earlier as an InfoLine specialist. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your relationship has been with Paul or any of the InfoLine team through the years at the IMF? Paul is amazing. He checks in on me every once in a while. And sometimes I'll just email him out of the blue and just say, hey, Paul, just want to let you know I'm still alive. He's been great. And I feel very, very comfortable reaching out to him, shooting him an email, calling him and asking him, hey, I'm faced with this. I need a little more information on this. What do you guys think about this or this treatment or this doctor or U.S. Dr. Dury? I've been to the patient family seminars and I love those. I've met other people. I've gone with people that I have met along the way. I had a chance to meet and talk to Dr. Dury many times. It's just good. It's just a good, positive place. The International Myeloma Foundation is its a great organization to have in my back pocket. It, it gives me comfort. Again, in the very beginning, I had nothing. I had nobody. But I felt like I had Paul. And he definitely directed me in the right direction. And when patients need help or are just lost and need advice and guidance, I say, hey, call the info line. And I've had just last night. Judy sent me a message and said, hey, I have a patient who is considering CAR-T. Would you mind talking to her? And I'm like, absolutely, because we have to share the knowledge and help each other. That's the big thing. And I, and I like to help people navigate through this, especially newly diagnosed, because it's tough. You were talking a little bit about the patient communities that you've interacted with. I'm just going to discuss a couple of patient quotes that have stuck out to me. I talk to a lot of patients just through communications and what I do here at the IMF. And one of them is Yelik Baru, who you may be familiar with. He's an IMF board member. He's lived with myeloma for 25 years. And one of the things he said is, we are not our disease. And another myeloma patient, Valerie Trainum, once said, myeloma is something I have. It doesn't have me. So do these thoughts of you being separate from your disease, does that resonate to you, with you, and why? Absolutely. I love both of those quotes. 
I definitely have myeloma, all right, but it, it doesn't have me. I think I'm definitely showing myeloma who's in charge. We are not our disease, and it isn't always easy to get to a place where you feel that way because when it's so relevant and your life revolves around going to doctors and chemo and all of that, it's you have to find a place to, to lock it away where you can go on and you can't live like you are the disease. And I've actually seen him speak at a patient and family seminar and um, he was amazing. So I'm glad that we have him in our community to inspire and show people how long you can live with myeloma. So what is life like for you right now with the pandemic? Um, talk a little bit about day to day, what things are like for you. Day to day, I have fought too long and too hard taken out by COVID. So I'm very careful. I'm a very social person. And this has been difficult. But I almost feel like I've been preparing for this for the past 14 years, having transplants, getting sick and having to wear a mask. I wore a mask before wearing a mask at school. We need to make it a little cooler and have more people wearing. Me personally, I have not been to a grocery store yet. I am social distancing. I do see friends and people from six feet apart. Things are starting to open up in our state, New Jersey. I will not be participating. I live near the beach. I feel comfortable going to the beach. You just have to adjust. Again, we're finding a new normal. This is difficult. This is mentally difficult for me. I'm not going to lie. And I still continue to get treatment. That's very important. We still have to continue going to the doctor, doing what we need to do. I see a local oncologist where I get treatment. I feel very comfortable there with the protocols they've taken. I've had to go to outpatient at the hospital to get a test on my port. I felt comfortable. I've had to go get a PET scan. Those things you still have to do. You just have to be smart and make sure you feel comfortable with the environment. I just want to protect myself because I have a horrible immune system, but I still need to find ways to keep my mental health going because as people are starting to get out there and live and do things, I feel like I'm sidelined. And I'm going to be honest, it's not easy, but I've done this before. It's not usually as long and severe. I will get through this. I want to stay healthy. I want my family and my loved ones to stay healthy. And I want to continue on and um, just live. You've already touched on this with your the way you are as a human being and what you've been through. And that's the theme of resilience, which has been our theme since Myeloma Action Month. Actually, before the pandemic really got to the level where it is here in 2020, we started out uh, with the theme of resilience, and that is talking about the ability to recover from or be flexible to adapt to new challenges and difficulties is how we define it here at the IMF. As a myeloma patient, what does resilience mean to you? Resilience means when you get down, finding a way to get back up. Again, um, I'm going to be honest, this isn't all fun and games. And there are times when you can feel a little defeated and you can feel a little blue and down, but getting back up and moving forward, I think that that's resilience. I think it's that being able to adapt, but just be able to, to keep going and to, to find a way. Every time you get knocked over or there's an obstacle, there's a trial that won't take you. There's a drug that's not working and it beats you down and it makes you sad and scared. You just have to pick yourself back up. Sure, you can have a pity party. Take some time to collect your thoughts and just find a way to keep moving forward no matter what. I don't know where mine comes from. I would say I'm just a regular old fluffy girl fighting cancer. I don't know where it comes from, but I just keep finding a way to move forward and keep going. And sometimes I'm just tired and I feel like I've had enough, but I have a husband 
I have a child, I have a mom, I have friends and family, and I'm pretty amazing. So they need me around. So I'm going to keep going. I think I've pretty much covered everything I wanted to talk to you about today. But is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like listeners to know about you or just any anecdotal information that you want to share about life itself? You know what? I'm pretty open and raw, and I do it to inspire others. I can remember when I first started going to see Dr. Siegel in a small office, I was always the youngest person there. And I sat in the waiting room, and I would talk to people because that's just me. I'm social. And I met a lot of people. And the older generation, they still cover their mouth and whisper the word cancer. And I remember a woman told me that her heart group, nobody knew she had cancer. You know, people didn't talk about it back then. I'm not sure why, but I want to talk about it. It's not a secret. I want to inspire people because I want people to know that all good things are possible. Miracles happen. There may not be a cure, but the longer we stay alive, the faster science catches up. I mean, there's so much hope right now. And I want people to know that you can live with cancer. You can live with an incurable cancer. It's possible. I mean, I've been doing it for over 14 years and I've done more than just fight cancer. Like I said about my 50 state, I feel like I've accomplished a lot of little goals and I always have a bucket list. Something comes off, something new comes. You need to have things to look forward to. I think that's important. You need to have something to look forward to. It doesn't have to be a big trip. And you have to celebrate the little things like, okay, your M spike went down. And it's just a little bit, but you know what? It went down. It's all possible. And I want people to know definitely that you can live with myeloma. I'm doing it every day. One last question. I actually, this question came as a surprise to me. You said you've traveled to all 50 states. What are some of the most fond memories you have out of your most recent travels? One of my favorite places was Yellowstone. I wanted to see a geyser. In Yellowstone, just riding through there, every corner was a different scene. It could have had trees, it could have meadows, it could have had a lake. That was pretty amazing. Last year, I was kind of in a slump and nothing was working. It was about a year ago and nothing was working. And I, I was just wanted to get to my 50th state. And my childhood best friend, Lisa, was on board. I think we booked it on June 29th and we traveled on the 4th of July. And it was that fast that we put this together. And that was an unbelievable experience. Like I never, ever thought I would get there. One thing that we did was went swimming off of the beach and we swam with huge turtles, huge, a couple hundred pound turtles and a natural, their natural habitat. They just swam under us and swam over them. And I wasn't in my best physical state. I didn't feel my best, but I went with the right person. She looked after me. It was an experience of a lifetime. I think it's great that all the people in my life, my loved ones, I have amazing travel memories and experiences with of them. I just thought of that right now because I was thinking of each friend and each neat thing that we've done. So I think adventures, experiences, creating memories, that's what it's all about. That's beautiful. And I actually want to swim with turtles myself. <laughs> that's so inspiring to me. Just go to Maui and go to the beach and they're right there. Sounds amazing. Once we get out of this pandemic, we'll see if we can arrange that. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time today. I really hope that we reached one of your goals, which was to inspire others and other patients and just people in general. And I, I'm so happy that you shared your story with us. I appreciate you including me and to feel that it's valuable enough to inspire others. This has been A Day in the Life, brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation.
For information on multiple myeloma and other patient stories, visit myeloma.org.